From Lakeley, it's How I Got Here. The stories behind the youth, high school, college, and professional sports journey, where it leads, and what we learn along the way. I'm Corey Koski, and on today's show, we have EverEve's co-founder, Mike Tamty. The EverEve journey began when Megan Tamty went shopping as a new mom and ended up in a dressing room feeling overwhelmed and all alone. That moment inspired her to reimagine the retail experience, how it could be everything that day wasn't. She went home and shared this with her husband, Mike Tamty. This experience became the foundation of EverEve. They opened the first stores in 2004. For me, EverEve has been a part of my life since 2004. When they first opened, they were known as Hot Mama. As a husband of a Hot Mama, I needed to buy gifts. I would buy every birthday and Christmas gift there. This was my go-to place. You see, my wife shopped there frequently. And I remember going there one of my first times, and I was absolutely lost. They asked for my wife's size. I was clueless. I didn't know it. I was treading softly here because I've screwed this up a couple times before this. They asked for my wife's name. They went to the computer, pulled up her name, and the sizes she bought. No more buying the wrong size. 15 years later, I don't need that help anymore as I bought my wife enough clothes to know her size. Today, Every has grown to 90 stores. Mike Tamty didn't grow up playing youth sports. He started playing competitive in junior high. Playing sports had an impact on him. This is how he got here. So I played basketball growing up. Um, I played a little bit of baseball. I didn't play a whole lot of youth sports. Uh, it was my father's biggest regret, he said, that he didn't sign me up for more youth sports. Uh, I, I, I was fortunate enough to have uh, an athletic build and passion for it, but just, you know what, my... I just played one year in youth, and then... Why is that? You know, back then, back in the day, uh, I did in our, my family what my mom and dad told me to do. <laughs> and, 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 he, and he signed me up for only one year. Then, starting in junior high, I started playing basketball on a regular basis, and I would play a lot of street sports. We would play street baseball uh, in the neighborhood. We would play... Uh, I'd play a lot of tennis. Um, and then a lot of, in the neighborhood, we'd play pickup basketball. Uh, then when I went to uh, school, starting in seventh grade, I signed up for the basketball team, and that became my sport. And I played that pretty much year-round, all the way through high school and into college. And whether it's uh, life regret or, or not, I quit my freshman year of college. Um, I'm probably walking today because of it, uh, but back then... Uh, I quit, and I could not watch a basketball game for three years. Well, so you played high school basketball. I played high school basketball. What was that like? Um, I, you know what, we had a good team. Um, I would say we had a great team. Uh, I think we, I mean, I, I'm biased here, but I think that year in 1989, I think we were probably one of the best teams in the state. Uh, we didn't, we lost the, the game to go to the state tournament. We lost to De La Salle, who was our arch rival. Um, and, and I look back now on why we didn't win, because they had talented players, but I think we had talented players too. And I, I look down, and I, I look at that, and I think it was poor leadership, and, and it was poor leadership on my part. Um, I don't think I was an effective leader of the team 
Uh, and so I look back on speak, speaking of regrets, that's one thing I, I wish I had more leadership skills then where I could have gotten more out of our team to, to get us all the way to the state tournament. But we beat De La Salle earlier in the season. That's what make, made it so hard. Um, and they, were, they ended up winning the state tournament that year. What could you have done better as a leader at, at the high school level? Yeah, at, you know, back then I thought everything would fall in place naturally. And it doesn't. Uh, champions are made. Uh, I, I think champion. You, you have to put the time into it. You have to uh, have initiative. And I, back then, I just you know I'd show up, and with everyone else, um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, inner coaching, uh, player to player. You know, you just, we just showed up and followed instructions and hoped that it would result in a championship. But it doesn't work that way. It absolutely requires intentionality. Um, a team, in, you have to get together as a team, uh, talk about strategy as a team, uh, build each other up, motivate each other, and that was missing. I was the captain of the team, and I just showed up. That's all I did. I just showed up, and that's not enough. If you want to do something great, you can't just show up. That's what I learned. What was your first job? First job was Target. Uh, in my household, we had to go work at the age of 16. And uh, I worked at Target. I was uh, in the hardware section at automotive. I was a salesperson, and, which was funny because I didn't have my driver's license at the time, and here I'm selling automotive parts. Um, I think Target's automotive department sales dipped while I was there. <laughs> I'm not sure. But then I also I worked for four summers at Target. And Target was a great employer. I think they, they trained uh, discipline and they had uh, processes that I think even now at Evereve, we I still put in place. So I look back with fondness of those times. But speaking of youth sports and the intersection of a job, uh, my spring year of my senior year of high school, my dad said, uh, you either have to go work or you enroll yourself, enroll yourself in a spring sport. So I actually played baseball for the first time. That was my first time I played baseball because I, I, I chose. You didn't want to work. I didn't want to work, um, which was funny. Um, so I went out there, and I remember flagging fly balls for the first time. It looks so easy, but it's not. I mean, reading a baseball is actually really hard, and I really never caught on. And so I, I was okay sitting on the bench. I, I, was, uh, I sat on the bench that senior year. And then about two-thirds of the way through the season, the center fielder and right fielder collided. Uh, and it was bad enough where both players had to, had to come out. And I still remember vividly the coach, the, the coach looking down the bench as to who his replacement was for the center fielder. And he, I remember the eye roll when he saw me. He was like, oh, no, Tampty's going to have to go in. So he goes, Tampty, get in there. So I went out to center field, and my, I could feel my heartbeat. I mean, it was beating fast. And I thought to myself, uh, the center fielder who got injured, uh, John, maybe he's going to be out for maybe just a half inning. What are the chances that the ball's going to actually get hit to me? And sure enough, the very next pitch was hit to me, and it was uh, – over my head, and I ran with all my might. Now, I remember this sort of, I think this is what happened, but I'm pretty sure it was over the head. I reached out my glove, and I closed my eyes, and it went into my glove. You caught it. I caught it, and I was 
my heartbeat was beating even faster at, at that point. And for the rest of the game, four more times the ball was hit to me. And I made miraculous catches on each one of them, shoestring catches, but in reality on all the other four, if I had just stayed in center field, I would have caught it. <laughs> I just misread the ball. I would go way back and, nope, oh, I've, got, I've got to run and catch it, uh, shoestring catch. Anyways, that was my baseball history. That was my baseball moments. Oh, can I say one more quick yeah, story? Yeah. Sorry about this. My parents came to see one game of mine. Uh, and I remember that game. End of the season, important game, bases loaded. I'm now in right field. <laughs> they moved me from center field to right field. And uh, a ball is hit, ground ball. And I charge the ball thinking, I've got to hold this to one run because it's a one-run game and they're going to tie it. And I charged it and the ball went underneath my glove all the way to right field, inside the park, home run. Of course, it was an error on my part, but that was, that was the end of my baseball career. What did your parents say to you after that? They didn't say anything. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good compared to a lot of other parents would be like, oh, my gosh, they'd be all over you. But that was. They didn't say they were very, uh, I, I think they were maybe, been maybe a little embarrassed for me. And when, when that happens, probably the best thing is uh, either comfort or silence. Either one would have been fine with me. All right, so it sounds like you had an inter interesting multiple sport, youth sport experience, or high school sport experience. Now you're rolling to college. How did you decide to go to college? Like, what college did you go to? Yeah, I went to North Park University. It's a Division three school in Chicago. Uh, my parent, my mom went there. My, my brother and sister went there. Uh, and, and it had a very good uh, basketball program. Uh, in fact, in Division three at the time when I went to college, I think they had the most number of uh, basketball championships, national championships, uh, than any other Division three school. Uh, uh, but I went there, and, I, and my intention was to play basketball there. I played for eight weeks, and I was in just too much pain. My knees couldn't handle the pain. So you decided to pack it in. I, I decided to, to quit. And again, it was uh, the love of my life at the time. And I, uh, I couldn't watch a basketball game for three years. I never attended uh, one of their basketball games. Actually, I, I, I stopped by a couple times for uh, a few minutes, but I couldn't watch the entire game. I had, I had to go back to the dorm. Tell me about when, when and how Megan got into the picture here. Yeah, Megan and I met at North Park University. Uh, she was a freshman, and I was a junior. Uh, I must have swept her off her feet. Somehow, it wasn't my looks, I'm sure. Maybe it was. I'm not sure what it was. We haven't talked about it. But, uh, but we started dating early on, and she always jokes that I was her first boyfriend. Uh, and we dated for four years, and we got married. Uh, and then we moved, actually, to California. So we spent 10 years uh, living in California. And then that's where the idea of Hot Mama, which became Ever Eve, was birthed. So what were you doing at the time in California? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a CPA by trade. Uh, my first job out of college was in Chicago. Uh, I was an accountant. And uh, to be frank, um, it was a fine job, but I, it, for me, it lacked purpose. And I was searching for purpose. I, you know, I'm going to be in a career. I wanted it to mean something for me. Um, and so I talked to a friend of mine who's a pastor, who's a spiritual mentor of mine. And he opened up a door to work in a ministry out in California as a business director. And so that's what I did. I worked uh, in uh, Christian ministry for 10 years 
out in California. And Megan was a teacher for a year and a half until our eldest was born, Allison. And then she was a stay-at-home mom. So that's what we did in California. So you alluded, you alluded before, you know, this is kind of where the, where the idea around Hot Mama, now Ever Eve, kind of was birth. Talk, maybe talk about that process, yeah. what happened there. Um, I joke that Megan, my wife, is a professional shopper. Um, uh, she wasn't really a buyer necessarily, but she liked contemporary clothing. Uh, and she liked the, the process of window shopping. Um, and, and, uh, but after Allison was born, I think her experience in stores changed. I think she was underserved. And there was one, uh, one store in particular in the Bay Area that she visited. And she said, you know, when I'm carrying a, 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 my daughter with a stroller and looking at clothes and the whole shopping experience just wasn't conducive for uh, a mother and kids, she came up with this idea of, I want to offer contemporary clothing, but in an environment that's much more supportive to the needs of moms. And so that was the idea that uh, where, where Hot Mama was born. And so we talked about it. We talked, Megan and I were sort of the classic entrepreneurs where we always talk about the different ideas and how would I do this differently or better. Um, so we came up with a lot of ideas, but the one that stuck was Hot Mama. And we sort of put a business plan together by saying, how can this work? Neither one of us came from uh, retail or any retail background. Um, so we didn't, have, we didn't have any experience. Um, and so we did a lot of reading, studying, figuring out whether we could uh, put, whether we could make a profit off of this idea of Megan's. Um, so that's, that's, how, that's how we started. And the idea was born out in California. We don't have a store out in California today, but when we do, it's going to be a homecoming because that's where the whole idea originated. All right, it's one thing to have an idea, um, but then there's the first steps to actually start to implement and execute that idea. How do you go from an idea of hot mama, and you're like, this is a great idea, and you're like, and you put it on paper? Yeah. Okay, I could see this working. Well, now you need to open a first store. You needed to, to fill that store. Like, how did you guys move on to the next step? And when you went to your family members, were they like, whoa, this is crazy? Like, how did that all come together? Yeah, you know, I always say that our risk threshold was pretty low. Megan and I didn't have a lot to lose. We didn't have a lot of money. So uh, when we, we put the business plan together, and I'm fairly conservative by nature, so I thought that the business plan was fairly accurate and fairly conservative. So I, I, uh, I, I felt like the numbers made sense. It could work. Um, so I went to, we, we, we raised money from friends and family, and uh, that was the first thing that we did. And when someone gives you a big check, now the accountability and responsibility rises tremendously. Um, so that helps. Um, and then you go and you sign a lease. And I think, I guess this is like uh, arriving so at an island and burning the boats. You can't go back. I mean, once you sign a lease and a personal guarantee and you raise money from friends and family, you better make it work. So you, ra so you didn't have a store. You, you raised this, this money just on an idea. Just on an, that's right, just on an idea. We raised money from about 10 friends and family. And it was on paper, so they could see what, the, what numbers we were trying to hit, what purpose we were trying to achieve. And I think every person, all 10 people, later said, I'll be honest with you, we wrote off that investment the day I wrote that check. <laughs> I don't think anyone realized that it could be a success. Uh, but then we, we, we just uh, 
from one step after the other, we burned boats. We, there was no turning back. We signed a lease. Where was your first store? 50th in France, in Edina. We love that location. We're not in that location right now. It's a little bit further down the block. It was a smaller store, but we loved it. And, uh, and so we did that. Then we'd go to market, and we uh, bought maybe 60, no, probably about $120,000 worth of clothes at wholesale cost. Again, no turning back. Do you have any feelings around the first batch of clothes that you guys bought? Yeah, you know what? Megan had a vision for the different products that, and labels that she wanted to carry in that first store, and 90% of them uh, rejected us. Uh, we thought, I mean, we were surprised by that. We had already signed the lease, but uh, and we, we, we had the money that we had raised to buy their product to sell it in our stores. But the other brands didn't want to sell to two, re two people who only had a dream who had no experience in retail in a shop called Hot Mama. <laughs> so now what? And so we went to Plan B and brought in Did other you have labels. Plan B before that? No, no. <laughs> went to Plan B on other labels and other product that wasn't Megan's first choice. And uh, now when we look back on those, those brands, I think the product was good quality product, but the names, the brand names were unrecognized. Uh, in, in the marketplace at the time. So we had to do a lot more selling. And then once we had success for a year, a lot of those first labels that we wanted said, okay, now you're up and running, now we trust you. And one by one, they started to sell to us. So yeah, we look back on those first days. <laughs> we look back, first of all, there are pictures. We have a picture of uh, our, our uh, clothing in that first year, the, the day we opened. There wasn't one pattern. It was all solid. You know, we didn't realize it when we were buying the product at the first time, but it was funny. And, and there was so little of it. Our store was sparse. Uh, but, you know, you, 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 you do your best with what you have. And now that we look back on it, yeah, there might be a little of embarrassment in that first, first few months. So, you, but, but also through this, you have a young family. Yeah. Um, and how do you manage that that relationship and the stress because you know I've started a business and the stress that you feel because you know it's one thing to have a job and you have a consistent case. I'm getting it paid X amount of dollars every two weeks now you have a young family and you have this concept and you're new into business and I can't you know I can only imagine insecurities that you guys kind of feel going through this how do you guys kind of manage through that and you know you know, the stress, is there stress on the marriage through this? Like, how did that all, like, the first, kind of going through the first hurdles on that? Yeah. So Megan and I are two different people, but our values and priorities are aligned. That really helps uh, in raising a family. Um, and because it was a young, because it was a business, uh, we felt like we had to be prepared for failure, um, so we, we line up our priorities by saying, okay, what are the three things that we're not going to give up on? And if we do those three things well and the business is a success or a failure, we're okay with it. Having that, that alignment actually reduces stress. And those three were, uh, we were always going to have, a family was going to be a priority. And, and throughout, we're in retail, we're open. I don't know how many hours, but you know, a lot of hours every single day, seven days a week. We always had family meals. 
every dinner we, we, we ate together. We would lose sales because Megan would leave the shop floor and come home and we'd have family meals. I would work at 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Every, almost every single day. And we did that because family was a priority for us. The second one is, even though we were going to work really hard, we were still going to go on four or five vacations a year. We were going to prioritize vacations. And third for us was faith. Our faith, not faith in us, but our faith in God. Um, if, If you have a belief in a higher power, it makes failure okay. And that's where we were. We were, we, I feel like our souls were, were in a good place to do that. I think that helped reduce stress. But I'll tell you what, it was very tiring. Like I said, two o'clock in the morning is when I would come home. The first nine months, I had another job. That's how we paid our bills, our family bills, because we couldn't really pay Megan. We paid Megan a little bit of money when she was on the shop floor. But I still worked 40 hours in the business, but I had another job. So I was tired. I remember going to get a haircut once, and I sat down, and, and all of a sudden she tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, you're done. I don't remember her cutting my hair because it, I, was, I was that tired. So that's, that's a, starting a business is it requires a little bit of crazed insanity because you have to let go of so many other things that's going to gobble up your time. You have to be 100% committed to those three or four, only three or four things, or else you're going to fail. Okay, now you go through... Um, how many stores do you have right now? About 90. Okay. So you go from one store, now you grow to 90 stores. And it's a ride. Maybe talk about a couple of the biggest barriers that you've had to deal with through your growth. Well, I think one thing is how to replicate culture and brand. That's the hardest thing. And we realized fast it's, it's through people. Business is done through people. Uh, and what motivates people? I think what motivates people is to alignment to a, a core purpose. So I don't think people want to show up just for a job. They want meaning in their job. And so finding out, okay, who can we hire and how do we create a core purpose that's going to offer meaning to every single person as part of the team, that took a, that took a while for us to figure that out. Uh, so that's, that's a challenge. Uh, certainly raising money. Uh, I, we had to raise money two, three, four times. Um, to continue to grow, that was a challenge too. Um, a lot of people are, are a lot of people are curious as to what it's like to work hand in hand with your spouse, um, and there's certainly some tension that can come with that because you can't leave the work because we're going to bring it home as much as we didn't want to. But on the flip side, I think uh, marriage is a true partnership. And we, Megan and I, we always did everything together. And I think husband and wife are always meant to do things together. I mean, through, for thousands of years, there was the hunter and there was the gatherer. Um, and uh, there was the, the farmer and, the, and the, the one who cooked or whatever it might be. And so when Megan and I came together uh, to, again, limit stress, we said to each other, we're all in. So we, we shared responsibilities at home. We shared responsibility at, 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 uh, at Evereve. Um, I, I, I was the first one to say, I'm, I'm happy to change the diapers. I'm going to cook. I wasn't very good at cook. 
Um, I'm going to do the laundry. Don't tell Megan this, but um, I'm a, I, I, I launder better than Megan. <laughs> Me, Megan, Megan, here's my pet peeve about Megan's laundry is she puts the laundry in the washer, but doesn't move it to the dryer. And then like the next day, it's like, well, so what do you do? Do you, do you rewash it? Of course you're going to have to rewash it, right? Uh -huh. So um, Megan's very good about starting things, but not very good at, about ending things uh, anyways. But I, 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 that's that was, figuring out how to live life with your spouse, not just raising a family, but working together, and the overlap of responsibilities at the, op at the office where we have differing opinions can be a little bit of a challenge. That's a struggle. But you know what? What we have found to, to solve those problems is you just have to keep talking it through, even though it's painful. And we've gone on a lot of long walks just talking through our issues about, okay, whose responsibility? Who's, who, who's going to make the final decision on this important decision for our business or for our family? Just talk it through. What have you learned going through all this? Um, you know, back to leadership. Uh, I think, I, and I don't call myself a great leader. Um, I'm an adequate leader. Uh, but my leadership has improved from that day back my senior year of high school on the basketball team. I've learned quite a bit from then. Um, but I think to do anything great requires leadership. And leadership requires three different things. Uh, number one, time. Um, I, I think there are a lot of people who want to do great things. And they're wondering, they might be listening to this podcast, like, how do I do a great thing? I, I want to achieve something. Here's my advice, three things. Um, number one, time. If you, doing anything great is going to require a lot of time, so therefore you, sometimes you have to get off the TV, off Instagram, even stop reading books, whatever. You have to go name it and pursue it and stop all other activities. Leadership requires time. Uh, the second thing is initiative. Um, for us, it was, we are doing it. We raised the money from friends and family. Um, and we went to market. We bought product. We signed a personal guarantee for a lease. Um, once you name it, you actually have to go do it. And the same thing, actually going from one store to 90 stores, it's so easy to rest on our laurels if we wanted to, but we didn't. We kept on signing more leases. We kept on moving forward, and, and, and moving forward absolutely requires initiative. And third, it does require passion. I mean, are you a passionate, have you found your passion and, and pursuing something that, where there's this intersection of, I don't care if it's a Monday morning, I still love what I'm doing. Also with this uh, initiative and time, um, if, if you, that, that blend, that cocktail to me wrap, wrapped up is in one word is drive. I mean, that, that's what produces drive. So I think that's what I've learned from here is, committing myself to uh, spending time with my growing the business, but also uh, I'm passionate about serving customers. And the, the uh, third is being very intentional about creating initiatives for, for long-term growth. Wrapped up, that's, 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 what, that's how, I think that's how, that's how I'm wrapped up of who I am to be. And that's what I've learned is necessary to, to grow anything meaningfully. So what's next? Um, Megan and I are empty nesters now, so that's a brand new chapter in our life. 
um, watching our kids grow. Our daughter just started a career this past year out, uh, in finance at a creative agency, so that's, that's really fun. Our son's in college. Uh, for us, we just want, we want to pour ourselves into Evereve. We feel like our time at Evereve is not over. We feel like there's so much more to achieve, and not necessarily from a money perspective, but to fill our business up with love so that our customers can experience it, so our employees can experience it. I mean, I, I think that's probably what I want to achieve most. And, and with Evereve, I mean, I'm the growth guy. Um, I, 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 we need to continue to figure out how to keep on growing at a 20 25% annual rate. Now, I'm passionate about that. I like doing it. It's exhausting. Uh, but, but that's always what's next is, okay, now we're at 90 stores. How do we go to now 110 stores? Um, and figuring out the different tactics where we can bring Evereve to the world. I'm biased. I think we have something special at Evereve. Not just clothing. I, I, we love our clothing. But we have a statement here where we, we say, at Evereve, we like fashion, but we love people more. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people out there who have not yet discovered Evereve who will really like Evereve. And so I'm on a mission to bring Evereve to those people so that hopefully Evereve can make a meaningful difference in their lives. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. If you like this show or any other of our shows, make sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you want to read stories written by our guests, you can do that on www.linkly.com. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you don't miss any of these stories. Make sure to check out our social pages. We have them all. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any suggestions for our show, please write us on Facebook. I'm Corey Kosky, and you've been listening to How I Got Here from Linkly. Special thanks to Wade Beavers and our friends at the restaurant Agriculture.